What's going on, everybody? Welcome aboard. We you are tuning in to Thirsty Thursday. Today we have an extra special guest. And listen, it's not when I say an extra special guest, this isn't just anybody that we have on the show. We have um an an OG of the industry. Uh and it's hey, listen, we're gonna have a fight here today because we've got the sports turf king, Ryan DeMay. But we've got the sports turf OG king of Spin Martin. And um I'll give you, spend a little bit, just give us a brief synopsis of who you are, what you do, what your career been like, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump into this and have us a conversation. All righty. Yeah, I mean, I, I started out when I was really young. Uh, I remember going to a Royals game and watching all the guys run out there and and uh, sweeping around and they would all run out. And I was way up in the stands and I told my parents, man, I wouldn't mind being one of those guys down there just to be close to my my heroes, you know, because everybody loved baseball players and I idolized every player. And then probably maybe six months later, there was a guy that came to uh, high school and uh, and asked for people to come work the tarp crew at Royal Stadium. And I wasn't old enough, but my brother was. So right after school, he went down there and got the job, and that's how it all started. Uh, he got the job, and I was asked probably about six months later to come and join the tarp crew for $10 a game. And, uh, and that's how it all started. And everybody, I think everybody realizes that George Toma was the head groundskeeper at that time for the Chiefs and the Royals. So uh, he was the only guy, I think, at, at the time that, that took care of the Royals and the Chiefs, baseball and football. And I was very fortunate to, to learn from him. And at the time, I didn't know this, but he did all the Super Bowls. So he prepared all the Super Bowls uh, from Super Bowl one to whenever. but. Uh, and one time he asked me to go with him. So my first Super Bowl was Super Bowl 16 in Pontiac, uh, Michigan at the Silverdome. It was the uh, 49ers and the Bengals. Uh, so, and then he just basically took me under his wing and, and that's how I learned what to do and how to do. And my work ethic came from him. He's a very hard worker, as you all well know, if you've followed George Toma at all. But uh, that's how I got into industry. Uh, learning all that from him and uh, and Doc Watson, uh, the agronomy side of it, uh, the University of Colorado. But uh, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at now. But that's how I got into in, in, into the NFL and, and Major League Baseball. So give us a rundown of uh, which which teams have you worked for? Uh, you know, obviously you've done Super Bowls too. So kind of kind of give us a, a career path of of where all you you went and traveled. So while I was in Kansas City, you know, anytime that, that George Toma would have a, a field problem, as I got older and got more experience, anytime they had a problem where he couldn't actually go take a look at the field or his son Chip Toma couldn't go and take a look at the field, uh, I would jump on a plane and, and go. So I've worked for a lot of teams in that sense, uh, but mainly uh, – you know, had to go to Foxborough and help fix the field there. They got ruined by a, a, a Guns N' Roses concert back, oh gosh, 1991, where they had one concert and Axl Rose actually went on stage at a second concert and he says, uh, my throat's killing me. Got to stop and walked off stage and the crowd just went nuts and tore the fields up and, and urinated everywhere and 
it was it was a big mess. So I had to go there and fix all that. But that was the first time that that uh, that they put a grass field on a hundred percent sand base system. So it's just like uh, pulling the sod right out. You know, because there was nothing built in the root system to actually hold the roots in the soil. So that was a problem that we had to solve, too. So what I ended up doing is stripping the fields and putting down turfus and blended all that in to build strength for the roots to adhere to and grab a hold. So it wouldn't pull out of the sand, you know, when someone's tugging on it or, or twisting an ankle or whatever on that. But, uh, yeah, so that was just one case where I, you know traveled around and then we did American bowls and all the Super Bowls and you know mostly all American bowls are outside the country. So I got to travel around there. But uh, so I've worked for a lot of teams, but I've only really cheered for one, the Kansas City Chiefs, because that's where I started. But uh, and then you know spent time at the Panthers. Uh, at that time in 90, I think it was 93, I was ta- in talks with the the Royals to become uh, the replacement of George Toma. And they went on strike. So Chip Toma was in for the job for the Panthers. And me and George was in Mexico City. And when we got home from Mexico City, I got a call from the Panthers saying, hey, uh, Chip turned a job down because he couldn't travel across state line with his daughter. So I went up there for the interview and got the job, uh, knew some people there and got the job. So that's when I stopped working for basically the NFL and started working with teams. And that's when I stopped going to Super Bowls was then. And then uh, lasted there for five years, built all kinds of fields all over the Carolinas, uh, and then followed Bill Polian to the Colts. So I uh, spent 12 years there at the Colts, and that was a whole new uh different type of grass, you know, bluegrass instead of Bermuda and rye. And, and that's when I had to convert everything over to, from rye to Bermuda. But so I've, I've, what was that? Four teams. It sounds, it sounds like it was a a good time to say the least though. Uh, and kind of got to experience a little bit of everything. Um, you know, uh, and, and real quick before we get too far into this, too, we also have our other guests that are, that are here today. So I want to give a big shout out to uh, Ray for sticking by, holding it down for us in Hawaii. And Spin, I know you probably don't know, but uh, Ray is uh, he does uh, ultra fine turf care in Hawaii. And so, Ray, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to Spin and also those that are tuning in for the first time. Okay, Spin, yes. Uh... I'm basically a, a long-time uh, turf care professional here in Hawaii. I've been uh, in the business since uh, 1991. And uh, I have the unique distinction of basically all the grass I take care of is normally a half an inch or shorter. Wow. So, for, exam- so for example, what behind, what's behind me is the Alamoana lawn bowling green. And guess what the height of cut is on that? Quarter inch? No, closer to a tenth of an inch. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm also uh, associated with a, uh, a golf school that 
uh, opened up on a decommissioned golf course. So for all intents and purposes, I'm a super. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's uh, in addition to what I've been doing for a long time, uh, you know, maintaining residential lawns at very low heights of cut. I have I have no use for the uh, large rotary mowers. In fact, uh, just about everything I do is done with a walk behind greens mower. Wow, sounds my, like a lot of work. My nickname for Ray is Extra. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but everything he does is dialed up to level twelve. Uh, and uh, it's it's hilarious to listen to everything he gets into. Um, even I'm sure at some point we'll get into his his sprayer spin because it's it it is quintessential green dock and just so extra. Um, also, we've got uh, we we've got is Ryan Demay on? There he is. This is this is the next generation sports turf king here. Uh, oh, spin. <laughs> No, no pressure. <laughs> Ryan, introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, so um, I'm Ryan. I'm here in little old Columbus, Ohio. And uh, yeah, I'm not the sports turf king. Matt likes to call me that. Matt made up that nickname. I did not nickname myself. So let's get that out of the way. If you give yourself a nickname, you're a douchebag. I'm just going to say that no matter what <laughs> walk of life you're in. Don't give yourself a nickname. Be nicknamed. All right. Now that we got that life rule out of the way. Um, yeah, so I've been doing sports surf now for eight years. Prior to that, I was in golf for 16 years and have just, uh, continually tried to put myself into uncomfortable situations career wise, I guess. Um, (laughs) and I've, I've learned a lot from that, grown a lot from that. And I enjoy that part of it. So now what I do is, uh, I'm a consultant. So I work with, um, K-12 schools, universities, parks and rec, private sports organizations, anywhere from amateur to professional and trying to take their stuff right to the next level. And so I think a lot of the good agronomy and basic practices that we we know to be right, uh, I'm sure that everybody here is aware and sees it that isn't always practiced at some of those levels. And you'd be surprised of just, you know, some simple teaching and some simple training, um, whether it be a project that somebody's doing and making sure that it gets off the ground right, gets built right. And then the folks there that are on site are going to have all the resources to take care of it the right way. That's what's important to me. Uh, I think a lot of times we sit there as an industry and dog people and say, oh, this field's unsafe or that's unsafe. And this is the answer. or This is the solution. And the fact of the matter is, is that we could all do better to train and help everybody do better right that's number one and number two that one solution isn't the solution everywhere you go right everybody has their own set of facts circumstances and otherwise so it's been real fun to get in and help people um i just can't stand people to see people playing on shitty fields that's kind of like the the pet peeve that that drives me right and i know that folks can do better so i enjoy helping them do that yeah there's different ways to skin a cat right Oh, absolutely. And that's what absolutely. I've learned through all my travels. You know, there's different different procedures and different things that you can learn. And that's why I started this Discord with uh, Jeff Salmon. Um, mm-hmm. We started that Discord to help people, and it's totally free. And we're all here to answer all the questions that you guys have, you know, on here, if you're willing to take our, our opinions, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, that's and that's what that's what it is. It's really just trying to build that network out and try to form, you know, not necessarily form an opinion, right? But like evolve your opinion because it's always going to change, right? I'm sure that there was, I guess yeah. here that's a good question is, it, uh, well, give us an example of something that maybe you were doing, you know, back in the early days that now you're like, man, I can't believe I was doing that because I've evolved and changed to believe or do this instead, right? Anything that you yeah. can think of that's changed the most over the years for you? Uh, no, not, no, I mean, not not too much. I mean, the spraying aspects of it has really changed. You know, I remember mm-hmm. spraying out of a 100-gallon tank and just spraying, mm-hmm. subduing Balaton you know, at, the, at the Royals every 14 days without without a shirt on and just shorts and, and flip-flops for the Royals, <laughs> you know? I think, I think your opinion has probably changed on that, right? Oh yeah, I mean you can't do that. You can't do that now. But I had a hell of a tan at the end of the year. I tell you what. <laughs> you sure that was a tan? That wasn't all the Bailton packets that had spread all over your skin. And God, that could be. That's amazing. It could be. Oh man, I remember hearing stories from. Um, I worked at the very first place I worked was a family-run golf course, and it was the fourth fourth generation that was running it at that time. And you'd see pictures and hear stories of Grandpa you know, literally applying pesticides off the back of a Chevy pickup, you know, yep. uh, somebody driving it and him in it with a 55 gallon jump, just going down and dousing, you know, greens, fairways, whatever they were spraying at the time. And it's like, yeah, that's probably going to get you a, a civil fine, you know, maybe a lawsuit these days. So yeah, I think, uh, that's yeah. good that you wear a shirt now, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that you do that when you, when you apply. So Technology's come That's a long good. way. We're wearing shirts now. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if no, you're wearing yeah. a shirt, you got you got to have two buttons down at least if you're if you're going to party with Matt Martin. Because you <laughs> yeah. got to see, see a little. I bit got of the V neck today, baby. A little yeah. bit. Sweater. Yeah. I, I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the LT Rich Z Z Max sprayer, right? Mm-hmm. So he brings it out to the Colts, and uh, it, he put it on a like a, gosh, it was a yellow long uh, Dane or something like that stand up mower, like one of the first ones that, that were originally built, like a stand up mower. And he took everything off and had the spray bar on the front, oh, and he brought it to, brought it to the Colts because he was just right down the road in Lebanon, Indiana, and mm-hmm. he showed me this thing, and I'm like, man, I I. I love your product. I love it. But you're driving over your spray as you go forward. Is there any way to put the boom on the back? And he looked at it and he says, yeah, there's there's a way to do that. But you really can't control it. You can control the spray more in front. You're always watching it. You know, and, and, and lo and behold, he stuck to his guns. And, man, he built a hell of a machine. And they're everywhere yeah. now. You know, and I can't believe that that, that you know. He took that concept and made it work, and then Toro bought it out. But anyway, uh, yeah. So <laughs> well, hey, it works to me. Work for him. Work, <laughs> work for him. Yeah, really. He's, he might have used that. Yep. For, he might still have a picture of you on the wall spin somewhere. And be like, I told that guy it would never work. And here I am. I sold out <laughs> Toro. I hate you. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. He probably is. He's probably like every day he wakes up and he's like, "Remember that time Spin Martin told me this wouldn't work? <laughs> Never again, Spin. Never again. Never again. Like that. <laughs> well, hey. Yeah. It, it. Yeah. It is a fine product. I don't know. I mean, um, 
they uh, i'll had, fight you over it i'm yeah. a permagreen guy and i will fight over this uh i see i'll fight over <laughs> uh, lt rich over a permagreen because i think permagreens uh, that that oh my gosh. i have no problem against the brand but the whole concept of one nozzle and you know a spray volume that's like a quarter of the amount when i piss that's no good yeah hey that's, that's all you need a quart per thousand acres. baby so you like quart per thousand yeah. I do. I, and, and so I, when I got kicked off, I'll never forget. Um, so I, you know, I went right into residential lawn care pretty much. And, um, you know, I pulled the hose on everything and I, I started it at, at true green. Right. And so, you know, I've got my 500 gallon tanker that sprayed two gallons per thousand. And, you know, you, you pull hose, whether it's a 300,000 square foot property or a 5,000 square foot property. And, you know, after five or six years of that and being introduced to a permagreen, right? I mean, it was just such a life changer for me. Uh, and and I'll, I'll never forget, like, I was so obsessed with this that I was, the company I worked for at the time was called Fairway Lawns. Um, I was like, um, I think I'm going to spray pre-emergent out of this permagreen. And they were like, no, you are not. You are not going to spray pre-emergent <laughs> at 11 gallons an acre. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. And it was a big to do, and uh, and I started doing it, and man, the results were unbelievable. It, it was it was it just it, because you took human error out of the equation, the results were just unparalleled to what everybody else was getting, and uh, and so then it became a thing that if you were comfortable with it, you could do it. But you know, most of the technicians still did not feel comfortable doing that. Uh, but I took it one step further that even when I started my own lawn care business, I carried it with me. I sprayed all my fungicides out of it. I sprayed insect controls out of it. I sprayed <laughs> everything you could imagine. I've sprayed carbaryl mm. out of a permagreen before. And let me tell you, spraying carbaryl out of a permagreen is like, uh, it's like trying to force mud through an atomizer. It was, uh, it, it was such a viscous uh, concentration in the tank that, uh, I mean, it was, it was thicker than whole milk, you know? I mean, if you, if you got it on, it would paint the grass white. It was, it was so wow. viscous. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I fell in love with that and it was so simple. I could make any repair I needed to out in the field. Typically in it, there was nothing on that machine I couldn't fix in a parking lot of a, of an auto zone. Uh, there was no, you know, real proprietary part. I had to, had to order and wait for it to be overnighted or something like that. Unless it was it's a not hard to find one nozzle. Yeah, well, exactly. It no, wasn't. That's not hard. Yeah. And it's got a Honda engine in it. And we know Honda's yeah. run forever, right? So I mean it was right. it was as good as gold. I couldn't I couldn't imagine have, have many, doing it any other way. How many what? How many dogs and cats did you kill? I didn't you know? kill any. Now trees and shrubs are a totally different story that we're not gonna get into. And a lot of that was just me being an idiot. Uh but I may I may have smoked one or two hydrangeas uh impatience um camellias yeah yeah especially because if it's your product, like in a, your product's product pretty concentration right yeah i mean when you walk up concentrated white, yeah it's kind of scary you know after it dries it just turns to dust right you you, you make a turn <laughs> yeah you had to get water on it pretty quick there's no doubt about it uh, but you'd come around a corner in a backyard, right? And you're rolling at five miles an hour. And uh, and you may not notice turn. as you turn that there may be a, a, a flower bed there, right? 
And so you make that turn and right as you do, I mean, you are just lighting it up with that, with that material you're spraying. Yeah. I have run and grabbed the water hose more than once and tried to dilute the absolute fire out of it to keep things from dying. Isn't that the one where you have to turn the handles and, and you know what I mean? And you're, you're driving yeah. with it like you're riding yeah. like a bike, like a bike. Yeah. And then you and listen, build your upper strength, your, your chest and your arms are getting huge. And That's right. And there's some girls out there that'll, that'll tell you that it hurts their shoulders. And I, and I just, you know, if, if they're not man enough to handle a permagrain, they probably don't need to be in this industry anyway. So. <laughs> that. that's the weed out machine huh exactly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of, of sorts of sorts so uh you know here's matt at you know third of a gallon per thousand square foot uh quarter. to this day <laughs> quarter okay fine no to this day there are still applications that i i put down at Five to ten gallons per thousand square foot. Not me. <laughs> well, I'm not putting down any applications right now, as a matter of fact. But if I was, I am just way too damn lazy to uh, to to have to one configure a piece of equipment to do that, and then two actually execute it. Now, if I had a Toro, you know, uh, with the, with the big, you know, twenty foot spray boom on it and a and a two hundred fifty gallon tank, I wouldn't mind doing it then, but. Um, that yeah, I'm not in that situation. Yeah. So you know, yeah, what do you, of course what do you, not. What do you so, apply at such at such high volume, Ray? Mostly insect controls. Mostly insect controls because I swear Hawaii is basically the fall armyworm capital of the United States. It's just horrible here. And uh, what's surprising about it is back in the 1990s, El Toro Zoysia was sold to us turf people as being insect resistant. Mm. And what a pile of horse manure. Because how is it that there are Bermuda grass lawns are almost an, an, an extinct species here in Hawaii, yet I still have to carry Dilox, Arena, Merit, and Demand CS. Wow. And that's all for Fall Army Worm. Yeah, that's a good little mix there. Well, um, actually, I don't mix all, 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 all four, though. Never. Oh, come on, Ray. Live a little. No, I I mean I don't. I don't. Arena Arena, you don't like Arena? No, I love I love Arena, but Arena goes in with the dialogues whenever I have to, you know, treat the you know, for something like Fall Army Worm, or else I will immediately get the second generation of it fourteen days later. Okay. Well, I, I spray arena so, and I leave. So I spray it on there. I don't water it in. So I leave it for about eight hours. And then I come back mm-hmm. and drown the place so I can get the grub. So I do, you know, I try to kill two birds with one stone. And the next day, the army, army worms are laying on top for me. <laughs> well, actually, I, I get, uh, 
I actually get both because uh, my additive for the arena is dialogues for 20. Wow. I run a lot of dialogues. <laughs> wow. I haven't That's used dialogues. Because, no, yeah. because you see, if this were the situation uh, 20 or 30 years ago, I'd either be applying Turkham or Dizenon 4E. Not Triumph? <laughs> you remember uh, Triumph? Tri Triumph wasn't allowed in Hawaii. <laughs> Never was. A lot of that going around. So, yeah. yeah. That's me typing, looking but, up Triumph. I says a fuss, okay. EC. Uh, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Azazafos. Yeah. It was I also a fabulous. Yeah. And it's also a fabulous nematicide because I, you know, heard about it because it was a Siba Geige product uh, back then. And I said, oh, nematodes. This is interesting. Oh, no. Can't use this in Hawaii. Sorry. <laughs> It's so it's structurally similar similar to uh, Durspan. Yeah, it's kind of similar to Durspan, except it's extremely systemic and it will kill nematodes. It's way more systemic, and in fact, just to give you guys the idea, it's still used in India and Pakistan. Is it, uh, is it still manufactured out of Bhopal over there? I know they, they, they're not scared <laughs> yep. of the band of phosphates. <laughs> Bhopal, India. Exactly, Matt. I mean... Yeah, uh, I figured. Well, don't, yeah, they have the highest don't they have the highest population of people that have six fingers and six... I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean... Yeah, M Mumbai, India, Ryan. That's that's where the uh, old, uh, I think it was called the Union Carbide Plant, uh, yeah. had that gas leak that basically killed off about you know five thousand people in the night, and then killed off another, you know. 50,000 people over the years because uh, methyl isocyanate, that is just gnarly stuff to deal with because uh, apparently when it goes into your lungs, it turns into a combination of hydrochloric acid and cyanide. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> so the people affected by that explosion were literally they had burns like on their eyes and down their throat and then they asphyxiated to death lord have mercy so that it, is horrific no, it, no it, it was just gnarly Matt I mean, because yeah. I, I saw I saw all of these all of these people on the news that were just like their eyes were wrapped in gauze because their eyes were burned out. They were like permanently yeah. blinded. 
So, <laughs> so yeah, but that's what, that's what you get when you allow a chem factory to open up in India where industrial safety protocols were just non-existent <laughs> because I watched the documentary about that plant and they were talking to the former plant engineer and he said that methyl isocyanate leaks within the plant were a common thing up until that actual massive release. It was like, oh, uh, my throat is burning or I'm gagging. Ah, that's another gas leak. We're, we'll get some questions in from people here. Uh, uh, real quick, bill bug control. Uh, what is what is the recommended for bill bug control? Uh, they're saying in Arkansas. I don't really do. I've never dealt with bill bugs. So I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Okay. Arena is a good Arena. start for bill bugs. Yeah. And if you need to kill the adults, you need something like bifenthrin or permethrin or what's that cyhalothrin but then the key is in the application because if you have bill bugs you're going to need to drive that into the grass itself so that's the five gallon per per thousand square foot application with a very good soil wetting agent yeah that's one where you just you, you just need to water it in but not too much too much right mm-hmm. So, yeah, because yeah, they're and that's why I, in the ground. One I second, fav- y'all continue. Yeah, yeah, that's why I favor the higher volume application because that literally gets the product where it needs to be without further watering in required. You know, that's why I prefer it is so that it removes that variable like. What if I'm dealing with a place where the irrigation system is not up to par? I don't want to leave that to a guess. Mm. That's when I set up set up for a ten gallon per thousand application and just you know <laughs> deal with the suck, <laughs> deal with the suck. Ten gallons, a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Go, hey, can be done. I'll go. Three, can be done. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. With your rig, right? You could do it with your rig. You yeah, I mean, you put a fi- <laughs> we'll talk. a five gallon per, Go. five gallon per minute, you know, spray head and a pump that's capable of supplying it. No problem. Mm-hmm. That's no problem. Man. I mean, yeah, that's intense. <laughs> so, speaking of the carrier volume thing, somebody we had uh, elevated lawnscapes asked here about using phosphites disease disease pressure ramping up in maryland you've got phosphites Mm -hmm. on hands how much water do you recommend per thousand square foot out of a battery powered backpack sprayer and they're using their product is a three to five ounce rate so if it were me and ray you can touch on this and and spendy just well real quick spin do you use phosphites down there i know you're growing bermuda on one at least one of your fields so you probably don't really care about phosphites too much No, any, we're any... we're mainly fescue and and Bermuda, ninety oh, okay. percent Bermuda. Yeah, gotcha. So, you ever use phosphates yeah. out there? No, 
No, not really. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. No, that's cool. That's cool. So, uh, you know, it's um, something if I was doing it here on cool season, I would, I would tell you to at least at the very minimum be at a gallon per thousand. I think most of the labels will tell you at least that if not closer to two gallons, I wouldn't want to two. go much yeah. more than that because it's really one of those ones that's got to get into the plant through the leaf for it to be effective. Um, and so I, I don't know, Ray, if you were on warm season, any, any other different recommendations there? Actually, uh, for phosphites in general, because they're downwardly systemic from the leaves down to the roots, uh, you're looking at one to two gallons per thousand square foot and excellent coverage of the foliage. So that's a finer, more uniform droplet size and two gallons of carrier per thousand. And if you're dealing with a taller turf, I would probably lean towards two gallons per thousand to ensure that I'm not just wetting the very leaf tips and not saturating all of the turf canopy. That would just be me because I also deal with a couple of St. Augustine lawns that are kept a little tall, of course, you know, taller than what I normally deal with. And mm-hmm. when I spray anything on those lawns, it's automatic two gallons per thousand square foot. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I didn't hear can, the 10 gallons per acre, Ray. Oh, no, we, we, no, 10 gallons per thousand dog, not per acre. Oh, sorry. 440 gallons per acre, you know, bring your skid sprayer and then go find a fire hydrant and then come back and finish that acre when you're done. Okay. Yeah, this is a job a perma can't handle. <laughs> there is no such job. There is no such job. <laughs> listen, listen, so Spinny and I were talking. There's He convinced me to take an ancestor DNA test because we may be related. And in the midst of those conversations there, uh, I've still got like five weeks left before I get the results back on that. But um uh, in the in the midst of that, he he was talking about growing grass in Japan and growing grass in Mexico, and I thought this is one of the most interesting things in the whole world. Tell us a little bit about what it was like setting up for an NFL game in uh, in Mexico. Oh my gosh! So Mexico at Azteca Stadium. <clears throat> First day I got there, you know, just walked out, being out outside from the hotel and getting there, uh, started sweating like crazy, right? and just wiped the sweat off the, my forehead, and my hands were black. So with all the pollution, you know, I was asking George, man, what kind of grass are we going to? This, you know, and um, we got there, and he goes, it's more of a weed than a, than a grass. So when we got there, he said, Spin, this is Kikuya. So I looked at him, and I th- said, there's no way this field's going to make it. And he's going, oh, gosh, don't be so negative. We'll be all right. So we went ahead and painted the whole field. It was the Houston Oilers and the Dallas Cowboys, 1993. I don't know if anybody can pull up a clip from that on YouTube, but it started raining during the game, like at kickoff, and the field ended up being just mud. The whole thing was gone. And I think I did my best paint job on that field ever, the 75th year logo on the – I think we put them on a 20 yard lines 
and uh, it was gone matter of seconds. It took me two weeks to do all this, and it was oh, gone a matter of seconds. So I found but, it. But uh, I found it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. Oh my gosh, that! But the, the pollution's so bad you can't grow regular grass there. You know, uh, well they have that same. It looks nice with- for soccer, but you get two guys weighing four hundred pounds a piece pushing against each other, and you know, it's gone. But you know, by the end of the game, I think it. I think it was nothing but mud. There was nothing but mud, and I, you know, you can see the. Is that the right game? Yeah, go forward. Go. Yeah, uh, oh I mean, it's just my like, goodness. We were yeah, picking up like chunks of grass two or three feet wide, putting it back down, stomping it, and they just kept playing. That was the largest crowd I've ever seen in my life. There was over two hundred some thousand people in the stands. It was unbelievable. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, go to yeah, like an you, hour and eight minutes. It's 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 oh, ridiculous. Like if you. If you had this now, like, man, it, look at the how be... can you even play on that? Look at oh, <laughs> that incredible! Over, you know, they got tackled by the turf, and I'm not <laughs> kidding you. It was bad. And George Toma was gone, nowhere to be seen. You know, he it. We spent so much time there, and and uh, it was it was bad, and, and he had no answer for it. I mean, it's. Yeah, it was it was dangerous. They wouldn't have played that game, and I think the reason why they canceled the game in Mexico City uh, a couple of years ago was because of this. You know, they said, "Hey, it could get this bad again." So I don't know if you guys remember, they had a cancellation in American Bowl not too long ago. But yeah, it was it was yeah, bad. Was, uh, that was a uh, so you mentioned about them not being able to grow grass. So they put I can't remember how many years ago they established it, but it was um a hybrid system right so for those of you watching that yep. don't know what that is it's it's basically a piece of synthetic turf that is only 30 percent of the filaments right of the yarn that actually goes up right then they'll top dress sand into that and then they'll establish it whether it's you know warm season grass or they'll seed in cool season grass grow that in and that that synthetic turf portion gives it structural stability right against traction rotation yeah. all that kind of stuff and so what happened that uh, it was like two weeks before or something like that. Um, Shakira had a concert there and her fireworks melted part of the synthetic turf and burned all the grass. out. Right? <laughs> and it's so, and it's not something that you like they're grow They're not just growing this at sod farms where it's like established grass into a hybrid system. So I guess they yeah. tried to repair it. They tried to grow it back in and finally NFL and Meng and all those guys were just like, Nope we're not doing it. And so yeah. That was uh that was the Chiefs and the Rams that year. That was the year they were both really good. I think the Rams ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. Um yeah. or that was the Super Bowl that year. I can't remember, but no, it was I don't know. Anyhow, yeah, that was a big game and then they ended up having to move it to LA just to get it in, but Yeah. The problem with the stitches Go ahead. Is when you stitch the fibers in there, you know, it's just like a big saw machine and they stitch it and uh, you can't cut it out for sod. You can't you you can't yeah. go in there and cut it out because all those little strands get caught in your blades, and it's it's just a nightmare. So you have to usually use a dozer to get everything off. And 
there, there might be different ways of doing it now, but back then that was a problem. Even the turf grids that they put in the soil back in the day created a huge problem. Yeah, so, so really the only way to harvest those now is in small sections, right? Unless you're using a dozer, but if you're going to do small patch replacements, they'll take a, a chop saw, like what you'd cut concrete block with, yep. and put one of those blades in there, and you just saw it out in. Yep, you saw it out in, yeah. and you got to carefully, like, pop it out, and it's not fun it's heavy as shit it's it's yeah. not a good situation so but it does it does offer the structural stability for the turf it's just you know when you set fireworks off on it or um what was it oh you remember the hall of fame game like two or three years ago up in canton where mm -hmm. so they painted logos on the turf it was it's in, it's completely synthetic painted logos out there and I guess it was cloudy or overcast that day and they and they painted either the night before or something like that and it wasn't drying so instead of just putting like a buffalo blower or like a toro pro force or something like that they put heaters mm -hmm. out there <laughs> no the no <laughs> no the shit out of this turf and it wasn't like <sighs> old turf either it was fairly new and so the players run out there and you've got like melted rubber infill pellets with singed up turf and it's all like this big congealed mess and they can't even clean into it i mean it's like it's hardened up at this point it's all cooled off right and so they were like and that, that was the worst part it was like half an hour before kickoff and they came over the pa and there's you know 20 25 000 people there to watch the game and they're like nope we're not doing it go home <laughs> that was it <laughs> they just so that was like one of those there was that i'm trying to there's there's a lot not a lot but there are some like really bad situations and i feel bad for the groundskeeper because you know those a lot of times it was probably one of those things where it was like well we got to do stuff on the field and ceremonies and we've got the induction ceremony so you guys can paint the logo you know at 11 o'clock on saturday night before the sunday game and get it all done and have it dry in time right 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 and mm -hmm. you know, you're just sitting there across from like probably not but i mean if that's what you're telling me we have to do we'll do it right and so yeah we get we get put in those impossible or nearly impossible situations quite honestly and it's not like the cry woe is me but you i it, okay so if there's a story or two maybe that you have because i'm sure you've seen some stuff but like oh i've got know, one the, right the now seeming, here seemingly impossible jam that you you have worked yourself out of and nobody knew it nobody knew about it at all the 25th anniversary of the of the super bowl was in tampa and george toma wanted this logo to pop right so we just painted it over and over and over again and we ended up killing everything underneath it the logo looked outstanding but as soon as someone cleated in it it was it was done for. So this was Saturday night, and I'm not kidding you. Saturday night, he says we have to replace the turf on this logo. Now, where the heck are you getting sod at ten o'clock at night? <laughs> so we drove. We had a practice field down the road. So I think it was Tampa University. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, we built practice fields. So you have, when you go to the Super Bowl, you have to build a practice field for the AFC team and the NFC team. So if you're in Tampa, if if the NFC team's got a team there in the city you're playing at, they would go to that NFC or AFC facility, right? 
So we would actually have to build some places. We built two two practice fields for them to practice at. You know, like when we went to Stanford University. So, but anyway, we went to the practice field, and it was a soccer field we converted into a football field. And all you might, you guys might have heard a story. Uh, George Toma finally let it out last year, I think. But uh, we went there, and we were going there to steal sod with shovels, <laughs> with you know regular shovels. And we all had fans and everything, and the gate was locked. We busted the gate down. We just plowed through the gate with our van and broke the lock, got to the field, and started taking out 12-inch pieces of soil with sod on them, just in little chunks, one-by-one squares. And we started loading them in the van. And then we got to the stadium, dug out the emblem, on the stadium, and it was huge. I don't know if you can YouTube that, but it's a you know the 25th year anniversary on the 50 yard line. We dug it out, and guys had to go back and forth to get more. And as we was putting it down, we had to put the stencil on and repaint it and get it all ready for the game next, the next, the very next day. And I think we got out of there like at three or four in the morning. Got home, took a shower, turned around, and came right back. So that's that was like. A lot of work. I thought we were going to jail, you know, because we <laughs> broke in. Stealing fine. grass. Ste- stealing grass. <laughs> Hello. Stealing grass. I mean, we didn't care what the Did soil imagine? type was. Oh my gosh, it, it was it was it was pretty scary. We had to have another van and a truck pull out there to give us light to see what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just True story. Like whoever True story. It was. Taking care of that field, like walking in the next day, like just you know, oh hey, Sunday morning should be easy. Just go in here and check yeah. the field, no big deal. And you walk in and just like, all right, I'm gonna go home. I'll come back Monday and we'll figure this out. Like, yeah. I'm not. It's Super Bowl Sunday. For that much you know, we took this much sod. I mean, the whole <laughs> soil. Uh, we took the whole That's what I mean. It's like the center of your field is just gone. Yeah. It's like you know. Martians came down and stole it or something. So and we didn't take it out of you know along the fence or anything. Took it right out of the red zone. uh, Do they have like a contingency for that now? Like do you guys have sod on standby? Does George have a farm in the area? uh, Yeah. You know, George Toma is the you know, one year I I had to go to California and and uh, West Coast turf and we set up all the sod for the Super Bowl because back in the old days we would take your turf and we convert it to rye. So no matter what you had, we'd come in there 20, 30 pounds per thousand and just throw the rye on it, put plastic over it, punch a bunch of holes in the plastic and water over the top with garden hoses. And in seven days, you had grass. You know, we pre-emerged uh, rye grass and 55-gallon drums and all that kind of stuff and and dried it out with, with – uh, Morganite and a cement mixer and put all that down. And that's how we used to do it. But one year, George came up with this idea of making thick cut sod. And at West Coast, that's where thick cut sod came in. I don't know if you remember that that catch with uh, Joe Montana throwing a pass to Dwight Clark in the end zone. He catches that, that pass. That was on my sod that he took and made thick cut sod for candlestick one year. And that's where thick cut sod came in. And, uh, so now they just resod everything. 
you know, they, they've grown all plastic and, and stuff like that. So the contingency plan is something happens. They just go back and get it and truck it back up. You know, Ed Mangan's got a good process going now on that. So that's how they do it now. But back then we didn't have the budget. I think, I don't know if I'd sent pictures, but I think we had five or six guys on a crew, you know, do the Super Bowl. And now it's up to 40 people, oh, 30 to 40 dude. people. It's a whole different production. You know, I remember my first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 16, we went in, inside Pontiac, Michigan, and we would paint the end zones. And at night, they would turn the heaters off. So all the moisture would go to that plastic dome and freeze. So we would come <laughs> in early and start painting. And then they would turn the heaters on about 9 o'clock, and it would thaw all the moisture on that, that dome, and it would start raining in the dome. And we would have to cover our end zones every night. I mean, it's the strangest thing, you know, and that field, it was actually, I don't know if I can say this, but it was actually longer than a football field because the Pistons would play in there too. And they would always take the 50 yard line all the way to the end zone out. Well, after doing it so many times, the yard, the yards stretched, stretched out. So <laughs> and the field was longer than it actually was. I don't know by how much Well, I actually do, but I'm not going to say, but. Everybody who had to, you know, fair field because they had to go that way 15, you know, for half the game, and but vice versa. But anyway, yeah, there were some strange things that went on. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many how many football fields are not a hundred yards. I see it. Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time that they're, they're all of ours. They're close. Yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah. No, you know, people cheat. They paint on this side of the line, or they paint on that side of the string, and. <laughs> You know, yeah, don't get me started with baseball. Don't get me started with baseball yeah. stories because you know there's a lot of ways to cheat in that too. But yeah, <laughs> not as many anymore. But definitely back in the day, there was uh, there was a lot of that home cooking, right on on the groundskeeping uh, side of oh yeah, what field, oh there we go, field, field, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there what we, we go. Here? So we got we got Wilford Bruce, oh. Doug Schallenberg. Andre Bruce, Chip Toma, George Toma, Scotty Martin, and and me. So all the that writing at official Pete Rosell, the commissioner, that was all done with a Sharpie. What? But, uh, yeah, I, I did all that, freehand all that with a Sharpie. Because it was so small, you couldn't get it on a stencil. I freehand all that with Sharpie. And, and uh, yeah, and that was some bad turf. Look at our uniforms. We were sponsored by Kangaroo <laughs> that year. <laughs> yeah, you still got that. You still got that sweatsuit there, Spin. I still got that closet. sweatsuit. It's oh. in the closet. Well, it's actually in my attic, but yeah. And I don't think the pants fit anymore. But <laughs> you got to put oh, that. Man, you gotta, that if you get Super Bowl sixty six, you got to wear that thing. Fifty years. Give them a Taylor, take those pants out a little bit. You know, you can make it work. You can bring it back. I yeah. trust you. You know, oh, you were man, talking about wild. another. Uh, the the they had a concert at the Mexico and they canceled it because of the concert. Well, if you switch over, there's a Barcelona picture where I'm painting the field. I'm actually dyeing it green. Uh, I think and my wife might be in the background because she went there to be an interpreter for me. She did a marvelous job mm -hmm. for us. But uh, yeah, so they had a Pink Floyd concert like two days before the American bowl game and there was no way for them to back out of it. So, 
anytime you cover a field up and you have, you know, the guys, the promoters have concert, they want you to sign off on the field. Well, the very first day when they take the tarp off and the wood and everything else, the field looks great. It takes about three days where it just starts turning yellow and the brown spots pop up and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, the roots quit growing. So that's why I had to paint the Barcelona field because it started to turn yellow. They had that field cover for like more than seven days. Wow. So, you know, normally after 72 hours, the turf is gone. But, yeah. You know. Green, green longer time. Green longer time. That's what, that's all I'm going to say about that. If it's uh, uh, covered for more than 24 hours, it's going to turn yellow. <laughs> yes. Well, and and green longer and us buddies. We painted every Super mm-hmm. Bowl field. We dyed every Super Bowl field. And sometimes we even dyed the artificial turf field. Yeah, there's Doug Schallenberg in the middle. Yeah, there's a picture there somewhere. I don't know if they took it off, but of where I was spraying the field in Barcelona where they had the Olympics. I was dying it green. That was the one field there. But yeah, that's that that's that's Northbridge Bermuda on the Chiefs field. And and uh, they do a hell of a job there. They they play around with the growth regulator on the on that North Bridge and they've got it down to a science. How how has agronomy changed from then to now with the advancements in uh, herbicides and pre-emergence and uh, and and even things like growth regulators and fertility technology? What what does that look like then versus now? Oh my gosh, it's a it's a world of difference because you know back in the day I wouldn't use a uh, a growth regulator because I you know if you had any divots on the field you wanted to tighten up and you didn't want to slow that process down. But I'll tell you what, Travis Hogan with the, with the Chiefs has completely changed my mind on it. You know, he plays with it, you know, an ounce, two ounces a week of, uh, uh, gosh, what, what's it called? I use Teenex. So, Primo, Primo Max. Primo, Primo, yeah. Primo Max. Primo Max, yes. That's what he does. And, you know, I've had long conversations with him. And uh, he's also on the Discord, and he answers questions. And and the the guys nowadays that they they give up all their secrets. When they, when, I, when I was in it with heavy with George, we kept all of our secrets. But anyway, <laughs> he would, uh, you know, I would ask him. I said, "What what made you what made you you think of this of, of building a field so tight with pre with with that you know the Primo Max and the growth regulators." Uh, and what happens if you get a lot of divots? And he, he said to me, he said, well, if you build it real tight, you won't have the divots. So I was thinking on the other way of the, of the side of the fence. It's like if I put down Primo, you know, if I get divots, they won't, if I have a game next weekend, they, it won't recover, you know. But he, he went one step further and made it so strong that you didn't have divots. And that was his, his way of thinking. And man, I have to hand it to him. He's got one of the best fields, if not the best, in the NFL. If you ever watch the game, it looks like artificial turf, and that's all done with growth regulators, you know, and things that he's practiced on uh, spraying. And he's uh, he's done a marvelous job. So yeah, chemical wise, it's just leaps and bounds. And then all these new varieties that are coming in, in Bermuda now are changes. They're big game changers, and it's nice to see, you know. Fields are becoming safer for for kids as they're growing up. You know, the fields are becoming so good nowadays that now you have to look at what type of cleats they wear, you know, because the cleats are being so aggressive, and that's where you're getting all the knee injuries and 
and ankle and ACLs. No one's really thinking about that. The cleats, the fields are so good. The cleats don't have to be as good as they used to be back in the 80s and 70s and 60s and even the 90s. That the cleats have got way too much grip. So that's that's the other side of the coin on this too. You get the field so so nice and tight and and lush and thick. They had all this traffic. Is now you have to look at what type of around these. With the with the new advancements in genetics, uh, what are what are your favorite cultivars right now that you're using? You know, John Easton gave me some Northbridge, and Travis Hogan has no Northbridge, you know, in Kansas City, and everybody was on the Latitude thirty six kick, right? So Latitude and Northbridge both came at, out at the same time, and I don't know why they picked. Latitude 36, but everybody jumped on that bag wagon and everybody put it in. Well, it was great for the first couple of years, but after after it grows a while, no one can cut a row, a row of sod from it. It just falls apart. It's kind of like the Riviera, you know, of the hybrids. So I really like uh, Northbridge. Uh, I like the Tahoma, uh, but Northbridge, you can do so much with Northbridge. Uh, that's the turf I would pick. And I think more people in the NFL are going to it now. Uh, the Chiefs, Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's a really good hybrid, but it's not getting, it's not getting the, the pub it needs. Yeah. It's interesting in this area, it's all tiff tough, right? Um, how much tiff tough do you see in Oklahoma? Uh, not very much. At least I at least I haven't. I mean, I'm really I'm really interested in it because I want to look at, at the way it grows. But uh, even Terry Porch there in Nashville, I think he's down to 419. I don't I don't think I don't know if you guys know Terry Porch and groundskeeper the, the the Titans there. He uh, I think he sticks to 419. I think he tried the Tahoma, he tried the Patriot. Uh, those two varieties are so thick you can't overseed it. It's really difficult to overseed, and you really don't want to you know, struggle with that, especially in November. But uh, I think he went back to, to 419. But Tiff Tough, I, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it. There's another variety that I really like to learn about is the one that's in California by West Coast. I don't know if you've guys, uh, uh, Bandera, Bandera or something like that. Bandera. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. The Rams, isn't it? Yeah. That stuff is yeah, so Rams, thick. Rams, 49ers. Yeah. That looks very promising. But when you get a turf that thick, you really have to be aggressive on verticutting it, airification, and getting that thatch out of there. Because, you know, we all know that the Bermuda that's growing during the summers, and uh, back in the past, we used to burn it all off. We used to be able to light on fire, start scratching the spring, you know, and have, have ground zero. Now you can't do that so much. So now you're just building layer over layer over layer of thatch. And you need to get rid of that. And the aggressive cultivars that they're coming out with, that is a huge problem with that stuff. So after so many has, years, it acts like a sponge. You know, you has, don't have uh, the drainage. Has phrase mowing uh, become a thing where you are? Yes. 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 It's, 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 it's a very good practice, too. And, you know, there's so many different things you can do with that, that type of that type of phrase mode, the coro, is you can get rid of the skin, you know, on your backfield or your infield, you can get rid of that hump. Yeah. And phrase mowing, you can phrase mow any type of Bermuda. 
you know, just to how deep and how thick you want to go down, you know, and that's pretty nice too, because uh, I never spray a pre-emergent on my athletic fields. I hand pick everything uh, with these little fingers right here. Uh, Cause you never know when you have to oversee, you never know if you get wiped out, you know, with the disease or insect or grub damage or anything like that. And you get a couple of weeks off, you just always oversee, you have to always have to be ready to overseed, you know, your Bermuda fields or any type of field. So I've never sprayed a pre-emergent on an athletic field in my life. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've never done, but, um, this cap right yeah. here. What's that? It's been, I, I don't never spray in a pre-emergent. I don't know how you do it, man. Yeah. I don't know how you I mean, do it. A lot, of, a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. Every time you mow and you see something popping, you got to jump off and get it out of there with it. Make sure you grab all the seeds and stuff. Because, you know, like when I was in Indy, you would always have to overseed spots and divots, you know, with the bluegrass. You know, at the yeah. time when I was growing the practice fields there at Indy, uh, most people don't know this, but we don't practice at the stadium. We just rent the stadium, you know, Lucas Oil. So we have we had a complex at West 56th Street that that's where your actual team and the practice fields are a lot more important than the game fields because that's where you build your team is on your practice field. But uh, yeah, we had three fields there, and the biggest problem I had was pH. You know, my soil pH. If you don't have your soil pH correct, and that six point four range to seven ish. You're not going to grow anything, and anything you put down is going to not have a very longevity, you know, like fertilizer and stuff like that. I could not. I was at 10.8. No matter what I did, I could not bring it down. Sulfur, 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 hot dress, trying to build the root zone above with bluegrass and everything else. And then uh, I got a fix for that. <laughs> well, the fix I've got is really good. It's uh, it's called Growing Solution. He's a, he's a guy that uh, – they came out and, and would inject your irrigation water with an acid so you can change your pH. Because I noticed every time mm -hmm. it rained, my field super green, grew really fast. And then a week later, it just started to go back down to it would die down. So once that 6-4 rainwater hit the, the field and the turf, the roots will open up and absorb all the nutrients that you poured into it months ahead of time and wake everything up. That's why you get that flush. So then we started messing with uh, the, inge the injection system with an acid so I can make my my water, my irrigation water, which was at 9.8 from the city. I can make it to whatever I wanted just by a little dial of the acid. And do that you know, helped do out. Do you know what acid you were using? Oh, gosh. No, I don't. It's growing solutions. I don't know if you can look it up. Uh, my yeah, guess is, is that it's... it's it's called urea sulfate. That's the most common irrigation system injection acid for the turf industry. Is it's called urea sulfate, and that's uh, oh, yep. right urea here, sulfuric urea sulfuric acid. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really uh, never, changed, it never changed the color of the turf, though. You know, it would never change the color of the turf. So I guess it, it wasn't that, that, that much acid. But uh, a 55 gallon drum would last me six months, you know, because I only had two and a half fields to, to irrigate. But boy, did it make a difference. And when I had bluegrass, I messed with the pH to control dollar spot and brown patch. And lo and behold, I can throw it down to four in my water. And it would control all that fungus. So I played Absolutely. around with it, you know? Yeah. So that's something because... else I've been in. 
from that. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now that the biggest difficulty in my location is soil pH over seven. If you don't address it, you're in for a bad time. And like, for example, I'm going to guess what it was like for you folks when you had to set up the practice field for the last Pro Bowl here in Hawaii. I bet that was a, that was a dumpster fire. <laughs> that, 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 was, that, that must have been such a crap experience for you. Yeah. At the University of Hawaii, we would have a practice field there. Yeah, and wasn't that a, wasn't that a, a, a shitty experience? Because I know for a fact that soil pH on that field is over seven, and they're not doing anything about it. And so yeah, the cool. grass, the grass is well, on the struggle bus. There, yeah, we would we would come in and plant. So when you plant when you plant something fresh, you know, like like any type of seeds, we use the a uh, whole Bermuda, you know, we used a common Bermuda mm-hmm. and we would progress and we would put that out there at university of, of Hawaii. So when you first put all that stuff out, the plant doesn't know it's going to root in and it's going to root in, you know, two, three, four, uh, three inches down. And we, we established enough firm turf there to last us two weeks. And, mm-hmm. and then after that, watch it decline. It just starts to decline once it roots in and gets all the nutrients and, and stuff there in Hawaii. So that was the, that was the one thing. So we would leave and uh, leave the Super Bowl and start preparing the fields. And uh, and Wally Wally Kamatsabara there would really help us out there and get that growing. And we couldn't do it too early because once it stayed in that soil long enough, it would revert back to the way it's supposed to grow and it would start to die and, and get really thinned out. So that's one way that mm-hmm. we combat that. Is, you know, started off and having a lot of young seeds to give you the footing that we needed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I typically deal with turf in situations where I don't have the luxury of overseeding or bringing in sod. So it's literally on me to very tightly manage the soil and manage it in a way that nobody nobody else does it. Because there comes a point where you cannot put in enough manual labor to overcome agronomic issues. You're exactly right. You cannot do it. And, uh, for example, you see this, uh, this bowling green behind me, right? The reason why it's green like this is because the nematodes are addressed and the grass is getting, it's agronomics, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Yeah. Was that a, was that a high pH uh, soil that you were dealing with there, Ray? I'll tell you the deal with this, and this is going to horrify anybody that know that is familiar with the bowling greens in like Australia or South Africa or New Zealand, because they use sand based greens for their bowling greens over there. This uh-huh. is dirt on top of coral. Native soil. Native soil. Native soil. Dirt on top of dirt on, dirt on top of coral. So I've literally got to watch 
my soil pH, and my salts. Uh, Ray, tell tell Spin your your favorite little acid combo to uh, to tackle high pH soil. This is this is very non lawn care. Yeah, my favorite if I'm in a desperate situation is one gallon of ninety five percent sulfuric per thousand square foot drenched in. Wow. <laughs> you gotta have some big old balls to go do that on an NFL practice field. Let me tell you what. Oh yeah. In a yeah. in a strong resume. In a in a strong and updated resume. Yeah. Might need it. Don't know for sure, but no. no I, 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 I I've never I needed it, it because I get absolutely greener grass within seven days of treating it that way. But that's because the fundamental condition that's causing the poor turf performance is immediately corrected. Because I've come to mm -hmm. the realization that sulfur, elemental sulfur, does not work worth a damn if your soil pH is over 7. It doesn't do a thing for you. And unless you temporarily acidify the root zone, you can throw elemental sulfur at that field and still not get the pH down ever. Yeah, it'll take two lifetimes. Mm -hmm. It'll take forever. But then I know some people, you know, on this, uh, on this chat, where I have them using elemental sulfur and a milder acid in the form of uh, food-grade citric acid, they yeah. get their pH down like half a point in one growing season. You know, it That's goes down good. from uh, no, it goes down from like what is that, seven point five or or almost eight down to you know by a half a point in one growing season, and that's on cool season grass in the transition zone. It's pretty so, good. So, you know, and these are the same people where if you tell them that they're going to be throwing down five pounds of sulfur two times a year, their pH is not going to move one bit. It's kind of like throwing down five pounds of lime per thousand square feet twice a year and it not moving anywhere either. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it just, it requires that little extra oomph to, to get some real movement out of it, you know? Just a little extra. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a whole <laughs> lot of extra, Ray. Not, not everybody's out there. Uh, uh, ju jump into the old uh, uh, sulfuric acid in the, uh, in the tank. Yeah, that is that is wild. I think you know. I, I could could you imagine the the guy who has to deliver chemical to Ray's house being like, "This guy <laughs> is making me carry this, and it's got toxic stuff all over here." We, we got some. Okay, <laughs> I got some. I don't know about this. I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, actually, my, my my chem vendors love me because. 
I'm not the one taking up their time with the cheapest fertilizer and the cheapest, you know, products uh, that they have available. Normally, I'm making them track down all of the stuff that, uh, what did you say, Ryan? You don't like to buy it. You don't like to use it, but you know it works. Yeah, that's uh, category number three. I'll find that. I'll, <laughs> I'll let J. Pink throw this up real quick. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's stuff that is just uh, ungodly costly, but it'll get you out of a pinch. Well, and I think, so. Dude, a lot of times that the situations that, you know, the NFL groundskeeper faces a much different reality than the university groundskeeper or even the high school groundskeeper, right? And so everybody is sitting there making these choices, right? These tough choices of, hey, do I, you know, I, I, I'm not an NFL groundskeeper. I don't know what the toughest choice that those folks would have to make, but I see it at colleges and universities. It's, you know, hey, do we place more emphasis on this field over that field. And same thing happens at the high school level, but there's fewer resources to go around. So like spraying some of these expensive products just ain't there. Like it's, it's not even possible, but I think a lot of times too, um, folks will look at a container cost or a price, you know, a price uh, per gallon or something like that and be like, Oh, well it's still too expensive. But the thing that I always look at when it comes to these expensive products, and this goes for homeowners too, is, you know, for fertilizers, you know, price per day of response, right? So if I look at, you know, say urea or ammonium sulfate, I can generally get, you know, depending on my soil type, somewhere between 14 and say 28 days of response out of a, you know, a half pound app or something like that. And so I look at that price point versus, okay, do I step up and throw out something that's got, you know, nitrification inhibitors and uh, urease inhibitors and things like that? what am I getting? Am I getting any extra days? And is it, is my turf truly responding to it? Or am I just going by what the label tells me that, Oh, Hey, you know, your release curve is going to be this. Well, it's never right. This nice curved line that they show you in the, in the product literature. So I like what spin says, you know, you're out here, you're mowing, you see, you see a weed pick it, you know, and it's not as easy on a lawn, right? Cause maybe you don't know what you're seeing or whatever, but, on a field or a lawn or doesn't matter what kind of turf you're looking, you're, you're seeing, you're on every day. You got to notice these things. Right. And so whether it's taking pictures to, you know, to remember or whatever you're going to do to evaluate, right. Is I think so often we put stuff down and we're just like expecting it to work. And then when it doesn't, you know, that's just like this binary thing. Well, either it did work or it didn't work. And that's not the way that turf works in general, right? Like we can have, varying levels of success with these different products and some of the expensive ones have you know not so good results and some of the less expensive ones have fantastic results and everything in between so i think it's really just about wrapping your mind around i've got to look at the stuff you know the more i look at it every single day um deciphering what works and what doesn't and the more that you look at it the more sense it will make of okay hey I'm not getting the best bang for my buck out of this product, you know, even if it's a cheap one or if it's a, an expensive one. 
it just, it really depends on what kind of response you're getting. And so, you know, when it comes to um, control products is, you know, using, um, you know, blind knockout trials, right? So just put a shoe box down, put a small piece of plywood down, do something like that, cover up an area and, and don't spray it and see what happens, right? So do we get, how much sooner do we get, you know, disease, right? on our grass and some of these knockout trials where we wouldn't in other places, right. That have been treated simple stuff like that is the observational and applied kind of stuff that you need to do uh, to figure out what works. So I think in the, uh, there's, there's a lot more that I could say there, but I'll, I'll pull this thing up for J pink. That is sort of my philosophy on products that we apply to turf and, and the way to go about <laughs> assessing those. But Matt, how do you, uh, you know, you, and I guess for spin too is, you know, it's two different mindsets, Matt from lawn care and spins coming at this from high end sports turf, but how do you all just evaluate products, right? In terms of, Hey, I'm either going to buy this one or that one. And then after the fact of, Hey, okay, I use this one. Is it good or is it not good? What, you know, what are those deciding factors other than, Oh, well the turf looked good. And so I'll continue to buy it or not. I mean, what else have you guys seen over the course of your careers? Well, it's always cost really, you know, first, first things first. And then it was, I able to use it to, uh, to, to generate a, a return on that investment. Right. Um, and I, I'll kind of go back to this because it's, it was the most, it, it was the first time that it ever really clicked with me was when I started using salicylic acid. Uh, and it was, a, it was a product called Kindle by, by Helena. And at the time that was, what was in it was salicylic acid. And I had, um, timed a marketing campaign uh, to coincide applications of that of that uh, of that Kindle product, and the goal there was to uh, try and delay that those plants from going dormant while I was mail blasting those neighborhoods that had just been treated. Right, um, so I did an EDDM campaign uh, that coincided with me treating the lawns in that neighborhood, and you know, the, the marketing message was, was, you know, be, be the standout in your neighborhood. And, you know, the lawns that had my flag in them versus my competitors lawns, uh, I, you know, were still green and, and chooching along and everybody else was starting to check out due to summer heat. So for, for me, you know, I look at the cost there and yes, it was incredibly expensive. You know, I was paying, um, uh, you know, $60 a gallon at the time. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was, it was a dollar 50, a thousand for me to apply it, but I ended up picking up 22 customers off of it, you know? So, you know, I end up picking an additional, um, uh, you know, as a pretty significant amount of money, you know, I end up, and, and so the cost there, it, it was totally worth it. It was extremely worth it, uh, for that to work. So it was easy for them to incorporate that into my into my program. Uh, there's been some other things where I've been just totally chasing what has been sold to me too before. And I mean this with love and I'm not, I'm not doing this to throw this product on the bus cause I, I, I enjoyed my time using it as well. But one of them was like a screaming green, you know, and, uh, I was, I, I really wanted that to do something for me that was not scientifically valid. And, uh, but, I figured if I put enough money into it and I put enough effort into acquiring that product and I just got it down, then I would have, I would have something that nobody else did. Well, unfortunately, uh, as we all know, 
fertilizers, 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 fertilizer. And it, it didn't give me exactly what I was looking for. But at the same time, my expectations weren't correct because I was buying it on what I believe to be a hope and a dream and a promise, not what the ingredients on the bag told me was going to happen. Right. So it's just a couple scenarios there where I have fallen in love with a product and fallen out of love with the product as well. <clears throat> There's very few products that I fall in love with actually. And, uh, my goodness, uh, my criteria is such that if I see it advertised or talked about, uh, I almost don't want it. I almost don't want it. Because, like, my... I love it. Yeah, because, like, what? I, guess what I use on turf normally? It is something you that is it? normally... Not even it's not even marketed for turf at all. Oh, triple twenty. Triple twenty. Peters. Peters. Because by the way, spin that is the NPK input that <clears throat> turf grass growing on horrible alkaline soil actually responds to. And it responds to it consistently. Wow! You Spin, see, what are you? What so are your favorite products to go to? <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys have heard of Panacea Plus. I mean, that was something that I really, really saw work. I mean, it gave me a lot of actual proof because it, it gave me, you know, ten inch, twelve inch roots. In less than four weeks, the Panacea Plus was a good product. Um, other than that, if your pH ain't right, you know you're, you you got to correct that first, and that's one of the main things I do is try to create a, a good environment for the turf. You know, get that pH in the right zone, and then uh, I've always used Scotts in the past, but now they're Anderson, uh, and they're getting kind of pricey. But uh, yeah, I just use a generic. I make my we make our own blend right here in Catusa. Uh, they have a nice little place uh, that that makes fertilizer, so I just come up with my own blend. But uh, I like I like long residual stuff, you know, stuff that gives me eight, twelve, sixteen weeks. So you know, I'm fertilizing less, but I spoon How feed that, every, uh, the spoon feed. How has that changed from your NFL days to now in your uh, uh, collegiate fields? Where, was it more of a spoon feed approach then, and now you've gone to fewer applications? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just a whole different mentality of fertilization and and all that other stuff. But I still have sports fields to take care of, so I get a good combination of doing both. But uh, the sports fields, I would you know, I'll throw a pound, pound and a half a week if I had to get something to grow. You know, ammonia sulfate, whatever I have to use. Uh, yeah, the Panacea Plus is some good stuff. Uh, but uh, back in the day, I used to we used to use bold manure. Uh, you know, George Toma would all, always have sample stuff, and it didn't smell as good as it does now. It smelled like bull, you know what I mean? Uh, but then they put some peppermint stuff in it and sold it to the public, and it had a really good <laughs> smell to it. But back in the day... <laughs> Nobody wanted to touch that jug and pour it, you know. Oh, 
man. You know, I'm sitting there pulling that crap without a shirt on and short shorts and flip flops, you know, but back in the day, but yeah, that, that, that really helped out a lot. That really promoted a lot of new growth, mold manure, but the Panacea Plus really worked for us in Carolina uh, on native soil there. Other than that, I just normal fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. You can't and, uh, and, <laughs> can't get away from really basic right. agronomy. You can't get away from it, and uh, yeah. it's NPK plus micronutrients is uh, basically what I preach. And yeah, something something like that uh, panacea. I recognize it for what it is, and do you know what I recognize it as? Sea kelp. It's a plant growth regulator. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, Spin. It's a plant growth regulator. Because what you are doing when you apply certain fractions and extractions of kelp extract to turf, you Mm -hmm. are basically applying cytokinins and gibberellins to the turf. And those are plant growth hormones that are working in the opposite direction of, say, Paclo and Tenex, because Paclo and Tenex are inhibitors of gibberellins and cytokinins, whereas kelp is a promoter of gibberellins and cytokinins. Wow, that totally explains everything then. I mean, that, that explains the, <laughs> you know, the dark green, the shortened notes, and uh, the aggressive roots, you know, the, and, the and, transfers and the all the strong that, growth. All that yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that that's totally strong growth. About yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I figured this out many years ago, and I warn everybody: please do not misuse kelp-based products in place of actual nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Right. I tell them, please don't, yeah. because it, it won't end well. Because yeah. that's like yeah. a doing growth hormone. Yeah. yeah, it's like doing it's like doing growth hormone without eating enough for people. It's not right. going to work well. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I always I mean, stay that, with my regular uh, program, and, and then always hit him with the Panacea Plus. You know, right at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season, all season, get really aggressive and, and growing. And get some deep roots, especially after airifying mm-hmm. and top dressing up. Had some Panacea Plus, but uh, yeah, I never never thought about that being a growth regular. That's that's probably exactly what it's doing. Cytokinin and gibberellin promoter, not inhibitor, but a promoter. So I've even told people when they mess up with uh, Trinexapac, you better get some kelp on that turf. Because otherwise you're going to be locked down excessively for too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never never that. never a good day to misapply your uh your your T necks. <laughs> Turn everything bronze. Especially when you got DMI in the tank. Especially when you got DMI in the tank. Or you get a wild hair up your ass that you're also going to spray trim it on common Bermuda. Uh, that's not very fun either. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what? Yeah, that was what I did last year. 
I was combining oh, yeah. trim pack and trim it and uh, and lighten up the common with it. Now again, I was doing ultra low rates, but uh, still, it would it would gray the turf pretty pretty quickly. Uh, but <laughs> hey, I was just curious what would happen. You know, no clipping, no clippings for two weeks, Matt. <laughs> no or clippings longer, at all. Yeah. I bet I bet in a in in twenty eight days I pulled maybe one full bucket uh out of out of two cuttings on uh half an acre uh on a on a twenty two inch reel mower. Uh one one full bucket in twenty eight days. So I mean it was just it was nothing. I mean it was just when I say it was floored, it was absolutely floored. <laughs> Stupid. This was on purpose. Yeah, well, I just wanted to know what it would do, you know, because uh, yeah, I, I believe it good. was Ray that told me, you know, trim it was pretty effective at uh, at suppressing common Bermuda, like killing it, and uh, and you know, in the field behind my house, it's all common Bermuda, right? And I was like, well, uh, if a lot of it will kill common Bermuda, what will a little bit do? And uh, just for good measure, let's throw some T-necks in there too, because why not? I've got it. And, uh, and it turned relatively gray and it just completely stopped growing. And it was weird. And, you know, I've told the story before, but I've, you know, iron wouldn't really turn it green. It, zinc oddly is what, what finally turned it green and, uh, and pulled it out of that. It, it, it never did begin to grow normally after that, but it at least got its color back after the application of, uh, uh, zinc. Wow. I guess my wife no has doubt. listened to us in the bedroom and she just told me about the pH problem. She says, all you need to do is remove the soil and replace it with other soil. Simple. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. That's another, that's another can of worms. And, and, and by the way, spin, a lot of times my actual prescription, if people bulk at the idea of constantly having to apply things to their turf to maintain it. You know what I tell them? Then it is time for you to call number one, a bulldozer operator. And number <laughs> two, a trucker that can bring in sand because your bulldozer operator is going to scrape out about three feet, two to three feet of your existing. Jesus. And then he's going to replace it with two sand. to three feet of sand, just straight <laughs> sand. Because See, the problem is, though, you, you, you do that here in the Midwest, and Spin probably faced this in Indiana, and that's probably why he had his problems. Is all the sand here is calcareous in nature, right? You can find some silica sands up by the shores of Lake Erie. But shit, yeah. you know, to get it down to Indianapolis, it's going to be, I don't know what it was then, but I bet you now you're, I don't know, 90, 100 bucks a ton. And well, you're yeah. talking Here. on a football field, 400 tons for every inch, right? So <laughs> that's going to yeah. go yeah. up yeah. real quick. That's, that's a couple kind of, of truckloads, kind of, right? Yeah, that's, that's a few truckloads. A rail then... cars, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Get the barge. <laughs> but but the deal is is that if yeah if somebody doesn't want to deal with having to constantly 
monitor agronomy and just wants to be able to do everything easy button, they got to get rid of their dirt here. Because you know that University of Hawaii football field? Mm-hmm. If there were ever a place that should have been scraped out and replaced with sand, that would be it. Yeah, for sure. Because the problem with dirt here in Hawaii is that it always accumulates salt and alkalinity. Yep. Always. Always. And like our sand source, Loskoli, for example, is consists of screened basalt rock. It's crushed down to like an eighth to a sixteenth of an inch. Right. Screened and there's no not too much fines in it and pretty consistently sized. And I know for a fact that that is a fantastic sand cap material and it's even better as an overall turf growing media, period. Wow. Because now you are in control of media and root zone chemistry on dirt. What's you're not pH in control. What's the pH of seven that or lo- seven or lower? Okay, seven or That's lower. Hard. It's yeah. It's not. It's it's not calcium based, right? Or limestone based. We get that. We get that red acidic sand down south. That's it's real nice. Yeah. I like it. Spin, I got to ask, uh, your, your better half, you work in the turf industry. There's a lot of, uh, uh, self-sacrifice that goes into being a, a turf manager, a lot of long hours, a lot of weird hours. Uh, what, what does your, does your wife work? What, uh, is she involved in the industry? Is, does she just support you? How, how does, how does that all work? And how have y'all managed no, to no, make I, it work over these decades? Yeah, she's, she's always supported me in everything that I've done in, in this profession and stuff. And she's she's had the opportunity, you know, to travel the world with me. And most of the time, well, all the time, the NFL would pay for her to go and, you know, pay for a ticket and, and stuff like that. But she's worked as a consultant. I mean, not a, I'm sorry, a translator. So she would help translate when we went to Barcelona or Mexico City, and 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 uh, she re- became really helpful in doing things like that for me. So she's grew up in this industry with me, uh, you know, because we've been together for thirty some years. So, but uh, other than that, she has a normal job. She works with Phillips sixty six right here in in Bartlesville and uh, in the HR department. But yeah, so I just keep doing turf, and my yard looks nothing like what I work on it at work. So. <laughs> Oh, mine too. That's okay. No, that's that's okay because I still have memories of somebody that I worked for that I almost consider a piece of garbage. And you know why I consider <laughs> the guy a piece of garbage? No. Because I- his landscape and lawn was almost like it looked almost like the resort grounds in Southeast Asia. However, <laughs> however, this is where I'm going to get snippy. Oh boy. He maintained his customer's properties at such a low standard of care. <laughs> <laughs> but his was on point. His was a 10. Yeah, his was a, 
a 10 or an 11. Mine's the opposite. How long into your relationship with your wife did she realize that you did not have a normal career path and was like, oh, my God? Probably probably the first day we met. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Probably the first day we met. I mean, we met and two days later, I went to New Orleans for the for Super Bowl at, in, uh, at the Superdome. Yeah. So then I didn't get back for another month, month and a half, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, so she knew right away. But uh, she surprised me at a couple Super Bowls, too. She'd hop on a plane and show up. But, yeah, so she knew right away. Yeah, I remember telling telling my wife when we were dating what what I did for a living, and she was like, "That's you can do that for money." Like, what what is you know? She's from <laughs> Japan, right? And just was completely floored that people actually did that as as a job. And uh, yeah, I was like, "Get ready, you're in you're in for one hell of a boring ass life here." But <laughs> no. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, what are you asking if I speak Japanese? Uh, or do you understand it? Or if you understand? Uh, very, very, very little. I, I knew I heard Nihongo there. And so I was like, uh, yeah. I, 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 I picked up a little bit. Right. Uh, but yeah. no. It, and I, it was funny when we were dating, she used to, uh, we, we were super broke when we first got together. And uh, the only thing we had when we, when we got our apartment, uh, my mom had given us some plates and Asami had some uh, chopsticks. And so the only thing we had to eat in our apartment was with chopsticks. And I was, horrific. <laughs> you know, I've got, big, you know, hot dog fingers and trying to use chopsticks was just the most ridiculous thing in the, in the world. And I'll never forget. I was over there struggling. Like I was just questioning every decision I'd made in my life up to this point. And she smacked <laughs> me with her chopsticks and told me to eat. I was like, what the hell just <laughs> Did I just get a spanking? <laughs> took me back to Catholic school days and a, a nun no, coming no, after wa- me. No, wa- watch out. Watch out. I, I warned you, Matt, is uh, the samurai woman. Watch <laughs> out. Because, you know, Asami reminds me of, like, uh, my late grandmother. <laughs> I mean... My my nickname for the old lady was the Dragon Lady. <laughs> I mean, she was a lovely woman, but oh my god, all all the way down to the chopsticks. <laughs> yeah, she she uh, she definitely is uh, is hard on me, but very lovingly, right? <laughs> oh, they're they're all hard on us. They're all hard on I, us. But there's they, no doubt about it. Comes it comes from a place of love. comes from a place of love. Yeah, what do they, they call us in Hawaii? Hopaholies? <laughs> in Hawaii, they call me a hopaholly. Really? So, Matt, your kids are hopaholies. Oh, right? uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, because, yeah, because they're half, half, uh, half Japanese and half Irish and Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're exactly yeah, right. But, yep. No, and as far as I, I'm concerned, they can't really figure out what the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't figure out what you what you are, right? I think you're a robot sometimes. 
Better <laughs> 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 a computer. Cyborg. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You'll hear Ray's hard drive going in his brain sometimes through the camera where he's recalling <laughs> uh, the, the third page of a label of glyphosate and reciting it word for word. <laughs> Like, Ray, how do you remember that? He's like, I don't know. Hang on. Let me tap into the hard drive. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, everybody, I'm going to wind this up. Everybody take a moment. And uh, if you, if you haven't uh, join the pro turf talks discord, I'm posting a link here in the, uh, uh, here in the chat. So, Go check that out and show some support. You, you again. This is going to be full of guys that have that do this for a career, that have done this for a long time, and there's likely not a situation that you're going to be able to bring up that someone doesn't have experience with. And so I think it's very well. Here, <laughs> Asami, say hey to everybody. Ohio, I got the whole family here now. Oh, he said, "Ohio, gazaimas." <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah go go show some support join over there say hey to everybody get to know everyone because uh, again you know these are these are the guys that do this for a living you're not you're not going to see any any real biased opinions you're going to see people that have absolutely grinded with their nose to the pavement in a very thankless career uh, uh kind of setting so you know, if you if you need an unbiased opinion, if you need an unbiased question, you just want to get some feedback. It's a it's a great place for you to be able to do that, where you don't have to worry about sales guys like me making a hard pitch to you about a product that I may or may not be invested in. Right. So, uh, just a good uh, opportunity for you to get out there. So, Spin, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it just it has meant the absolute world to me. Where can people find you? Tell us, uh, uh, give us your social medias so people can go find you, and uh, yeah, all that fun stuff. Oh, Spin Martin twenty one on Twitter. Uh, yeah, that, that, and then that's about basically the only thing I do. Twitter, I, I have and a face- Discord. Twitter and that Discord. So. There you got it. Go check it out. Look, he even sprays DEF, a little diesel exhaust fluid, a little 1500 out there. You know, he's so. Learn that from Spence, you. <laughs> Spence Learn that from it. you. He's got it. It's uh, fucks. So uh, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, Ray, thank Ryan, you thank you so me. much for helping out. Jay Pink, thank you so much for the awesome production value. I really appreciate it. And I hope we can do this again and trade more war stories. Uh, for those of you that are going to stick around, we have the show after the show coming up. And uh, uh, Spin, feel free to hang around for that. If you got to go, don't worry, you can go there. Uh, the show after the show is going to be for the members only. So you have to sign up and be a member of the YouTube channel in order to get access to that. I will post a link in the private Discord and it will be up for 10 minutes and 10 minutes only. And after it's gone, it is gone to the world for the rest of your life to never be seen again. All right, everyone. Y'all have a good one. Thank you for having me, guys.